And now we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, which is going to look back to the Old Testament and is going to look at an example of God working in his people Israel. And there's just this allusion to when they were living together in the wilderness and they grumbled. Some of them got swallowed up. We don't want that to happen here. So we're going to try to figure out how to live together It's very probable that what's going to happen in the weeks and months ahead is we're going to have to multiply our service offerings. We're going to hang tight until we absolutely have to do that because I like being together with you in the room. I like that there are college students. I like that you pick the front rows. Most of the older folks pick the back rows. That's cool. They used to sit where you sit. As you get older, you move back. Um, I, I want us to live together as a community of people fully devoted to loving God and loving others. And I'm glad you're hanging in there. So now let's get our Bibles and open together. We're in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and today is a warning passage, and it's going to guide us to understand um, what sometimes happens to people who, who have a lot and have had a lot. This could easily be a warning for us at Calvary Bible Church because we've become accustomed to having a lot of blessings in our life. But we are in a place today where every one of us probably would say life has been hard in the last year. Would you agree? And life has just been really hard. And as a result of the difficulty of life, there is a a word of warning here that is given to the readers of this letter. Remember, we don't know who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. We know the The recipients were probably cosmopolitan Jewish Christians who lived in a Hellenistic part of the Roman Empire, and so they were a sophisticated group of people who really knew the Old Testament well. And what the book of Hebrews lays out at the beginning is an argument that Jesus is the superior one, greater than anything God has ever done in the history of the world prior He exceeds all of the prophets who came before, and that's chapter 1 saying how much superior Jesus is. Chapter 2, he is superior to angels and anything that angels have ever done, including bringing the Old Testament covenant. Jesus exceeds that because he is the one who came out of heaven and humbled himself and he brought such a great salvation we saw last week that God himself would come all the way down and take upon himself humanity. He took on what it meant to be human in every respect and he went all the way to the cross. And chapter 3 then begins, therefore, with all of that in mind, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful 
in all God's house. We'll stop there. Guess who the next connection or comparison is to? It's to Moses. And Jesus is greater than Moses. And all you have to do is think back to being a good Orthodox Jew, a a Jew who knows the Old Testament and who's the hero of the faith. Who's the one? Let's just think about some of the privileges of Moses. Moses was, was born in Egypt and put in a basket and God preserved his life. God carried him along. Moses was the one uh, who was protected by God, who was taken out to the wilderness and lived there. God called him. God spoke to him in a burning bush. God brought him back to lead his people out of Egypt. God gave Moses all of the authoritative power to do what he had to do to speak to Pharaoh. God talked to Moses on the mountain and what happened to Moses' face when he talked to God. It actually was transfixed into the glory of God. It was Moses who was God's anointed. And if you were a Jew in this time that the writing of the book of Hebrews was, and you say someone's greater than Moses, you say, well, how is that possible? Moses is Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, Keep your mind on Jesus. Think about Jesus. And two ways Jesus is described. He's described as the apostle. Apostle simply means one who is sent. So Jesus is the one who is sent from the Father. He gets the title apostle because his sending is from God the Father in heaven that sends Jesus to the earth. And he's the high priest. What does a high priest do? A prophet speaks for God to people. A high priest brings people to God. And Jesus is the one who brings his people to God and makes atones for their sins. He is the high priest of our confession. He's the one who brings us to our Father in heaven, even by his own sacrifice, as we saw last week. He was faithful to God who appointed him to be that just as Moses was faithful. And so the comparison begins between Moses and Jesus. Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. That's just an illustration. Somebody builds a house, that's a beautiful house. Who gets the real honor for the beautiful house? The one who architected and built it. All right, so Moses is, uh, Jesus counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all the house as a servant to testify the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a, all right, so if you're circling in your Bible, you're circling those two words. Moses was a, all right, thank you, couple with us up here in the front row, yes, his servant, but Jesus Christ was a son. son. And that's the comparison. So who's greater, the servant or the son in the house? The son is the greater. He's the heir of all things. So we're looking back at what God did through Moses and what God has done through Jesus. And this is written to these Christians, and I would look again at verse 1, and you would notice 
he calls them uh, brothers, holy brothers, and you who share in the holy calling, verse 1 of chapter 3. So is he writing to Christians? What do you think? Yeah. He's writing to them, and the word of warning is to Christians who are going through a hard time. So if you drifted off for the last moment or two, could I just say to you, it's very possible that you're here today and you are feeling like you're in a hard time. This is written with you in mind. Left to right in your head. Um, 1500 B.C. 1000 B.C. 65 A.D. 2021 today. Okay, that's the way the chart goes. 65 A.D., the book of Hebrews is written, roughly. Written by an unknown author to a group of Christians in 65 A.D. We're reading it in 21, 2021, and we're trying to understand what was written in 65 A.D. But if you begin to look at verse 7, verse 7 does what the writer of Hebrews always does. He goes back to an Old Testament text, to Psalm 95, which is not going to be on the screen, but we're going to read it in a moment. But that was written roughly, approximately, 1000 B.C. A psalm written to Israel about an event that took place 500 years before that, the Exodus. Let's look at verse 7. Uh, let's see, so we finished up verse 6, but, but Christ um, is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast in our confession, in our boasting. We hold fast to Christ, no matter what happens. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, I'll just stop there for a moment. What do you think that means? The writer of Hebrews is indicating something about an Old Testament quote and says of it, as the Holy Spirit says. Anybody? What does it mean? It means that when God recorded the Old Testament word, who was speaking? The Holy Spirit. What is the writer of Hebrews saying about the text that's quoted in the Old Testament, Psalm 95, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7? When the Bible speaks, God speaks. So think, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, and now Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always, <coughs> excuse me, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter rest. How about that? What's going on? The, the Hebrews author is quoting Psalm 95 that says, today if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts 
as in the day of rebellion. When was that? That was 1500 B.C. when God was leading His people through Moses out of the wilderness and God raised up Moses to speak to Pharaoh. Everybody know this story? And to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Ten plagues. Ten plagues come and Pharaoh finally says, get your people out of here. They go out of there. They take off. They begin to come to the Red Sea, and God opens up the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. He comes out after them, and they cross the Red Sea, and God opens that up so all of Israel passes over. They get to the other side. God closes it down, and Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. Remember that? Okay, they saw my works in the wilderness, and then on the other side of that, God sets up Uh, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and he begins to lead them and he leads them through the wilderness and they begin to say how great it is that we've left Egypt no I wish we could go back to Egypt why because I'm hungry and I need water so what does God do he provides manna and then he provides water for them and he guides them and Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and he speaks to God and his face sees the glory of God and he comes back down, he goes up, he comes back down and one time while he's up there they all worship a golden calf and you can see that the nation is confused and will not follow, will not listen to God's voice. They are the rebellious generation in the wilderness for 40 years. That's the generation that the writer of Hebrews refers to and says to a people in 65 AD that we're reading in 2021 and trying to listen to, and the warning is, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. Can I ask you a question? When you hear about all the things that we now remember God did through Moses for the people of Israel, and they kept rebelling, and they grumbled. Can you imagine they grumbled? They grumbled. Would we ever do that? It was like, no way. We know what God did for them. But in reality, we might say, well, yeah. But the whole point of the book of Hebrews is they grumbled having seen his work, seen all that he did, and you have more because Jesus is greater. Hello, let this be convicting for a moment. Everybody? We look at them and we say of them, they had all of those signs of God for 40 years providing manna, doing miracles, opening the Red Sea, speaking to them, and they... They were stubborn. How stupid. You know why? How could they do that? And there's a warning to us, right? In 2021, that we have so much more than they did. Do you ever harden your heart against God? This is an illustration for us to take note, to pay very close attention. And so in verse 12, let's get to it. Verse 12 says, take care, brothers. And I read this again, that this is talking to a group 
of Christians. People who really did know the redeeming work of Christ. They, they are being warned, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God? Is there anything that would lead you to say, I don't trust God? I'm not going to believe Him right now. This verse 12 is amazing. Um, Take care. You don't want there to be an evil, unbelieving heart. I don't believe what God did. There are two issues at stake here. One is, there is unbelief in verse 12, and the second is in verse 13, which we'll get to in a moment. It's sin. And with all of the things that came to Israel, Numbers chapter 14 records the, the promise of God that because of the unbelief, because of the rebellion of that generation in in 1500 B.C., coming out of the nation of Egypt, they would not enter into rest. They wouldn't enter into the promised land. I, I think this is where we have to be careful not to um, allegorize the text, not to say more than what the writer of Hebrews is saying about the text. He's referring back to the nation Israel who sinned against the Lord by unbelief and hard-hearted sinning, and they didn't enter into the promised rest, the promised land. Were they God's people? I think so. It would be hard to press to say Moses wasn't God's. Right? He was. Did Moses enter into the promised rest? No. What's the writer of Hebrews warning? You need to take care, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart that you don't believe what God says so that you experience the discipline, the chastening, the lack of reward that Israel experienced when they didn't enter into rest. A whole generation who came out of Egypt, wandered around the wilderness, died in the wilderness, and never crossed over into the promised land of milk and honey. Why? An unbelieving heart. And they didn't have what we have. Let's look at the next one, verse 3, and then we'll time together. Verse 13, excuse me. Verse 13 says... But exhort one another as long as it's called the day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened in your heart by the deceitfulness of sin. That verse 13 is sort of the other liability that we face today is that we have a tendency to look at sin in a trivial kind of way and then become hardened about it. For example, isn't it possible to say, um, those of you who are 75 and I'm 62, and I know, I remember when I grew up watching television in my house, and my parents would quickly turn the TV off if there was something that was inappropriate in 1965. 
And look where we are today. And what happened? For those of us who are older, it's just a gradual accommodation to an increasing number of things that a generation before would have been repulsive, would have been had the TV turned off and maybe thrown out. Am I right? What happens? An accommodation of what used to be sort of inappropriate now becomes acceptable. My mother said this was horrible. And now it's okay for me because I'm an adult. And then my children grow up and they get introduced sooner. You know what I'm saying? What happens? Something happens on the inside when you get exposed to sinfulness and you get exposed to something that then you become accustomed to and you knew initially it created a great sense of conviction in your heart that I shouldn't look at this. I shouldn't think this. I shouldn't say this. And then before long, it just rolls off your tongue. I used to know that gossip was wrong. And now I just have a hard time not talking about other people. I used to know that money was something God gave to me, and now I'm trying to accumulate as much as I can. What happens? Sin becomes deceitful, and it it does something on the inside that creates a hardening about certain areas of our life so that it doesn't feel the way it used to feel when my heart was sensitive to God. That's the deceitfulness of sin that hardens us. Today, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Are you with me on this? Do I need to explain some more illustrations of how our hearts get hard? It's a warning. A whole generation didn't enter into rest because their hearts became hard and they did not believe what God said and they lost out on his promise. What's the word for us at Calvary Bible Church today? I mean today, in 2021, here as this fall is getting kicked off, what's the word? I wonder if you're involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in and you're, you've just become accustomed to it and you just say nobody else will know about it. Nobody else will know about it. What's that? This circle in your Bible, the deceitfulness of sin. Who knows about it? <laughs> well, God knows about it and probably somebody else does or will too. He is the one before we have to do. And everything about us is laid bare before him. So, the deceitfulness of sin. It creates a, a hardening of the inside so that we cannot hear his voice, which is why it says in verse 7, and then again in verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Take care. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be unbelieving and fall away from the living God. 
And then in verse uh, 13, we'll come back to this word, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Two things about the opening of this verse, today. We don't know how long you have. What is today? Today is today. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Isn't that right? We all live in the United States of America. COVID has maybe rattled us a little bit, but most of us have a pretty invincible sense that I'm going to live till I'm 65, I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to live out my happy days. Well, good luck. Maybe, or maybe you'll get cancer. Or fired, you know, whatever. You, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So what day should we listen to the voice of God? Today. And I think this is a word written in 65 AD to a group of Christians, some of whom were leaving the church because it was under great difficulty. And maybe you're here today and you've been around the things of Jesus, but you've never really said yes to Jesus. And I, I know some of you, I've talked to some of you, and you, you've been around church, but you, you know basically that Jesus came into the world, and that's the message of this church, but it's been hard for you to really come to the place where you would say, Jesus, I trust you, I ask you to forgive my sins, and I give you my life, because that would mean a total life change, and you've been unwilling to do that. And this is for you. You don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. But today, if it's called today, you should believe. And we should encourage each other. I want you to exhort one another day after day as long as it's called today. Here's the antidote to hardened hearts in a church. They're sitting right next to you. It's the encourage one another. And the Christian experience wasn't intended to be lived in isolation. You're not a lone ranger. You can't do the Christian life by yourself. You're supposed to have other people in your life and community. That's why I said early on, we have olders and youngers and everybody in between. And we need that because the Bible says, encourage one another as long as it's called today. So I want to say to the older people in this church, you have a responsibility to these young people who are in this church to encourage them to say your story about how it was for you that you almost lost your faith and you came to the place where you felt like you almost gave up and it was hard. But you believed what God said, and it made all the difference. And today, you're 80 years old, and you can say, God has been faithful to me my whole life. Who's an 80-year-old who would say that? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. I'm just saying, the church needs every generation the over 75 to say to the 55s, don't walk out on your spouse now. And that's epidemic. Raise your kids, send them off, leave your spouse. What? 
Do you not believe God? Don't you believe what God has said about marriage? Don't you believe what God has said about unfaithfulness? Do you not believe the Word of God? We need olders to tell the middles. And we need the middles to say to young parents, listen, I've raised my toddlers. It gets better. (laughs) They become teenagers and drive. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) You know, we need that. People who have two or three under eight need a generation who can say, don't harden your heart. Don't quit. Don't walk out. Don't believe the lie. It's not better to go for the for the money and abandon your family. It's not better to get rich but compromise. That's the lie. And this is a warning that says today don't harden your heart against the things of God. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's pressures. But don't harden your heart against God and not believe Him. That's what they did in the wilderness. They had all the acts of God, all the promises, all the miracles, and they still grumbled against God and walked out on Him. You have Jesus. You don't have Moses and the Ten Commandments. You have Jesus and the indwelling Spirit. How much greater is Jesus? You have Him. Don't harden your heart against God. That's the point. And then we need young families to be talking to to young children. We need college kids to be talking to high school kids. And the pressures that middle school kids have today, who's talking to them? Exhort one another every day while we have opportunity. Do you understand what a unique opportunity it is to be this church in this day, in this place, in this city who believes none of this stuff? But we know it's true. Jesus did come into the world. God sent him to be our Savior. He died for us. Don't harden your heart or be deceived by sin and say to God, it doesn't matter. No one's going to know. Yes, it will matter. You'll compromise your ability to be married happily for some season until God heals you if you just give yourself sexually to whoever you want to right now. It will matter. I just talk about the things that we're all facing Sexual immorality is everywhere, right? And if you think that getting high or or drugs are no big deal because the state says it's okay, guess what? It does impact you, and not necessarily to make you smarter. What, What matters? Don't harden your heart against God. This was written in a day that people were giving up the faith. And if I think about all the people who I know have walked out of church, walked out during COVID and said, I can't take it anymore, uh, of the rate of self-harm, self-medication, despair, discouragement that's everywhere around us, 
I just want to say to you, hey, let's exhort each other, encourage each other. Who's the last person you encouraged? I get an encouragement note about once a month. I get advice about five times a week. I can take it because I'm... My heart's hard, I guess. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. It's not that. I can take it. But you know, there are people who have had enough of your advice. And what they really need is to say, don't give up. Don't stop believing. God is faithful. Don't harden your heart against God. Don't quit. Encourage one another. Who is the last person you encouraged? I think our middle school students need to be encouraged. So, I, I'm, I'm there, right? Don't write to me about what you don't like anymore. <laughs> I'm serious. The time's short. The world's a mess. People in our town don't have hope. They're deceived by sin. They're giving their life to the wrong thing. You write a note to somebody from your experience over the years and say it's worth following Jesus. Take care. Don't let there be a heart in you that's hard and crusty because you've gotten used to sinning and it doesn't bother you anymore and you're playing church. No. Stop that. The whole point here is take care. Don't be unbelieving, but believe you have had the greatest message that God is ever going to send. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is our great high priest. He is the one God sent. He's the one who gave his life for you. Don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. Okay. Enough? Do you get it? Let's pray. Let's pray, and I just want you to take a moment, and if, um, if it's been true that your heart's been a little crusty, if it's true that, you know, you've let yourself get accustomed to sinning in ways that you used to say, ooh, I feel guilty, and now I feel no problem, this would be a good time to say, God, would you just soften my heart? I, I want to believe that it matters And I want you to pray for somebody next to you. I want this to be a place where we encourage each other today. Because we might not have tomorrow. That, that's the point. We don't want to be like the generation who passed away in the wilderness. We have got the greatest message that's ever been given. We're never going to get a better message than the fact that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I'm one of them. 
So God, here we are. We're just coming to you today to pray that you will draw us to have soft, tender hearts toward you. And if in any way we've become accustomed to living a life of sinfulness, and it's just become part of a duplicitous way that we're living, church on Sunday, sin on the weekend, and whatever we want to do any other time. God, I I just pray you'll draw near, speak to us, let your Holy Spirit, let us not be those who give up our faith. And I pray for those who are in a really suffering time, and they want to quit, they want to give up, they're just discouraged. I pray, God, you'll pick them up by the power of your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, don't harden your heart. Let us hear your voice. Let us believe in you, that you're faithful, that you can take us through hard times, that your faithfulness is going to carry us through the days ahead, even as you carried us through the days behind. And I thank you that there are people here who have gone ahead of us through difficulties and are able to say to this generation and the next generation and the generation to come, It's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it to listen to his voice. It's worth it to believe what he said. And it's to your peril to disregard it. So God, I I just pray. We we just want to say we believe in your faithfulness and we want to follow you. And if you believe that, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing this song with us.